Hello, and welcome to Rinse and Repeat. I am Carol Iscaros. As you know, from time to time, I like to give you updates about Rinse and Repeat, give you some feedback we may be getting on the program, and we had some exciting news come in this week. As you know, Spotify released its wrapped analytics. That is uh, one of the purveyors of the podcast, which is Spotify, releases some of the data about the program. And we were very, very excited to receive some information about your listenership. And first, before I even begin, in the middle and at the end of everything I'm about to say, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing Rinse and Repeat. One of the greatest things that you can do for the program is share it. When you hear one that especially blesses your heart, share it on social media, share it with your friends. Everywhere that you listen, there is a share button. And when you do that, it makes such a difference. You're sharing the word of God with people, hopefully sharing encouragement with them. Um, and it is making such a difference that Spotify is noticing, believe it or not. Uh, Rinse and Repeat is actually being heard in 47 different countries. We were baffled by that. 47 countries. Top five were United States, Nigeria, South Africa, Canada, and the United Kingdom. Those were our top five countries. We were pretty shocked by that. We were the top podcast for 600 of our fans. We were in the top 10, and we were the number one podcast for over 265 of our fans. So that was pretty, pretty exciting statistics. And this is really cool. We were in the top 10% of the most followed podcasts, top 10%. And this is the part that I really wanted you guys to hear. Our podcast was in the top 5% most shared globally, top 5% most shared globally. And it was shared via text, via direct link, via Facebook, Instagram, and in other means. So you guys are sharing rinse and repeat and it is making a difference and above all you know forget the statistics it matters to people being encouraged by the word of god we're supposed to be salt and light and you guys are sharing god's word with other people and i couldn't encourage you more to keep going forget the statistics forget the countries forget all that stuff keep sharing god's word it has power to very much change the lives of people praise be to god from whom all blessings flow praise god above all right so today's woman of the bible is the shunammite woman all right that's right i said the shunammite woman some of you are like say who say what who's she you're about to find out. It's pretty exciting. But as you know, we always begin with a vignette of a great woman of the Bible of our contemporary age. And today I want to use a story from the life of one of my favorites, Susanna Spurgeon, a woman whose life I believe beautifully underscores the life of our Shunammite woman, today's woman of the Bible. Now, Susanna, of course, is the wife of Charles Spurgeon, the great pastor and Bible expositor, if you recall. 
And she stood by her husband through many years of ministry ups and downs. You know, we know Charles Spurgeon as this great publisher of all of these lessons to my students and all of these great sermons, but they experienced years of difficulty. They had years of financial difficulty. Sometimes their own generosity exceeded their resources, but then God would always supernaturally provide for their needs. And they had illness. He struggled with deep bouts of depression. She had physical illness. They really, really had seasons of difficulty. But one story that she tells so beautifully illustrates how God used her to tell the story of God's power and God's faithfulness in Spurgeon's life, in the relationship of the couple, in the power of the word. This one story means so much to me personally. Now, Spurgeon used to prepare his sermons on Saturday night to deliver before thousands of people on a Sunday morning. Now, can we pause there for a second? Because Spurgeon, dude, you're cutting it pretty close, y'all. Like you're doing it on Saturday night. I mean, I feel like that's like that you're walking by faith in a big way, bro. Like Saturday night. Okay. So on one particular Saturday night, he was really, really stuck. Okay. She tells the story and and she tells it so beautifully in her own words that I really kind of, I have to read it to you in her own words. All right. So you're going to feel like, wow, you're reading us so much today in, in her own words. Usually I kind of summarize the stories for you, but today I'm actually going to read it in her own words because she writes so beautifully and how I wish I could write like Susanna Spurgeon. But listen to her explaining. The backdrop of the story was that, you know, he was really stuck. He couldn't figure out how to convey this message. And she writes this. He sat up very late and was utterly worn out and dispirited for all of his efforts to get at the very heart of the text were just unavailing. I advised him to retire to rest and soothed him by suggesting that if he would try to sleep, then he would probably in the morning feel quite refreshed and be able to study to better purpose. If I go to sleep now, wifey, will you wake me very early so that I may have plenty of time to prepare? With my loving reassurance that I would watch the time for him and call him soon enough, he was satisfied. And like a trusting, tired child, he laid his head upon the pillow and slept silently and sweetly at once. By and by, a wonderful thing happened. By the opening hours of the Sabbath, I heard him talking in his sleep and aroused myself to listen attentively. Soon I realized that he was going over the subject of the verse that had been so obscure to him and was giving clear and distinct exposition of its meaning with force and freshness. I set myself with almost trembling joy to understand and follow all that he was saying, for I knew that if I could but seize and remember the salient points of the discourse, he would have no difficulty in developing and enlarging upon them. Pause there on what she's saying. She's basically saying in his sleep, he's teaching the message. God is giving him supernaturally words of wisdom and knowledge in his sleep that he can understand the passage. He's saying it out loud. He's talking in his sleep, and she's trying to capture each word as he sleeps. She goes on, never a preacher had a more eager and anxious hearer. 
But what if I should let the precious word slip? I had means at hand of taking notes. So like Nehemiah, I prayed to the God of heaven and asked that I might receive and retain the thoughts which he had given to his servant in his sleep and which were so singularly entrusted to my keeping. As I lay repeating over and over again the chief points I wished to remember, my happiness was very great in an anticipation of his surprise and delight on awakening. But I had kept vigil so long, cherishing my joy, that I must have been so overcome with slumber just when the usual time for rising came, for he awoke with a frightened start, and seeing the telltale clock, he said, Oh, wifey, you said you would wake me very early. Now see the time. Oh, why did you let me sleep? What shall I do? What shall I do? Listen, beloved, I answered and told him all that I had heard. Why, that's just what I wanted, he exclaimed. That is the true explanation of the whole verse. And you say I preached it in my sleep? It's wonderful. He repeated again and again, and we both praised the Lord for so remarkable a manifestation of his power and his love. How about that, y'all? What do you think of that? Susanna Spurgeon being by the side of her husband, capturing what God was doing in the man's sleep. Isn't it just remarkable how God brought these two together, how God used this woman in the life of the man of God to bring the word right when he needed it. She kept vigil. She kept watch. She provided what Charles Spurgeon needed right when he needed it. And I share this particular story because today we're going to study a woman that had such a similar provision for the man of God, the Shunammite woman. We're about to learn it and how she faithfully served a man of God to the glory of God and so many lessons that can be gleaned, the parallels between these two women. I just love it so much. And look, sometimes in our ministry unto God's people, we we sometimes have a very direct ministry. We are bringing the word in the way I'm doing it right now. Sometimes we have podcasts. Sometimes we're teaching. Sometimes we are uh, ministering to people in church. We're teaching children's ministry or we're teaching in a school or we're teaching youth group or we're teaching different settings. And sometimes we are serving in other capacities. We're, we're catching things that our husbands are saying and scribbling them in the middle of the night, and we're serving our children. Sometimes we're doing both things. Sometimes we're serving in the workplace, and we are ministering in an environment that can be so antagonistic to the things of God, and we are bringing light into the antagonistic world around us. Whatever way you are serving and you are bringing that light, let it shine. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, no matter how you may do it. So that's why I want you now to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4, and we're going to pick up in verse 8. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. I know this woman may not be one you know a lot about, the Shunammite woman, and I'm going to be perfectly honest. She's not one I knew well either until we studied it out so closely. 2 Kings 4, picking up in verse 8. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunam where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. 
So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, look, now I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him in there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. Let's pause there. Okay, so this is a region called Shunem. It's a little village pretty much in the tribe of Issachar to the north of the Jezreel Valley. You know, it's it's south of Mount Gilboa. Basically, it's a region, small little region, and that's why it's she's called the Shunemite woman because she's from this region called Shunem, okay? This is a rich woman. She has the means by which to build this place and to do these things. And I want you to know a very important word. In verse 8, the word is notable, where there was a notable woman. And I want you to underline it in your Bibles if your Bibles are open. I don't know what your translation may call her, but the Hebrew word there is gadol, gadol. And it's the only place that a woman is called this in Scripture. It's such an important word. I'm going to really make a fuss over this important word for this important woman. It is used to describe spiritual, moral, material, and mental greatness. Okay, Gadol is notable. A notable woman means spiritual, moral, material, and mental greatness. So in other words, this is one great lady, y'all, this Shunammite woman. That's why I feel like Susanna Spurgeon is a great parallel for her. But what made her so great? What's so great about this lady? First and foremost, I feel like she is marked by her hospitality. She noticed this stranger passing by her window again and again and again. First, she's offering him food. And then later, with her husband's permission, she makes a room for him in her home. Talk about hospitality. She's upping the game from just giving him a sandwich to giving him a place in her home. Listen to me. Hospitality is spoken of again and again in the scripture. Hebrews 13.2, I've quoted this passage a lot on the podcast, but Hebrews 13.2 says, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Romans 12 verses 10 and 13 puts it this way, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. And verse 13 says, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Hear me on this. Hospitality is something that is becoming a lost art, a lost gifting, honestly, because I feel like we are becoming more and more insular in a lot of ways. Maybe it's this emphasis on having these beautiful farmhouse looking homes where everything matches just so perfectly and you have it smelling like lemongrass and verbena. I don't know. I don't even know what lemongrass and verbena are. I just made that up. But what I mean is we just have put so much pressure on ourselves that everything has to be perfect that we just don't invite people in. Maybe we have misunderstood what true hospitality is. 
Matthew 10, 41, and it's so fitting, this passage, Jesus is saying, he who receives a prophet in the name of the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. How fitting would that be for the Shunammite woman? He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. In other words, receive people. Receive people in the name of God. See, one of the things I absolutely love most about my Egyptian culture is its hospitality. We love welcoming people into our home and around our table. And I have to say this, we've said it so often, and I'm not sure if I've shared it on the podcast, but one of my great dreams was to build a bigger table. And after many attempts to buy a big table, we gave up and we ended up building one. My husband surprised me for my birthday a couple of years ago, and he and my kids built me a table that will seat 14 people. And because it has a bench, sometimes we manage to fit even more than that. And it's just so special to me with its imperfections and its warts. It's so incredibly beautiful to me because they made it, but because it captures my heart for hospitality. I don't care what we're eating. I don't care if we eat it on paper plates. I don't care if we're not eating at all. And all we're doing is gathering at my table and I can look people in the eye and spend quality time with them. It is my life's greatest passion to have people gathered around my table. So much so that my beautiful friend, Brittany Hernandez, oh my gosh, she gave me this great suggestion. I love her so much. She suggested she had heard that people sign the bottom of the table in Sharpie when it's a handmade wooden table. And that's what we do. We have all of our guests come in and sign the bottom of the table in Sharpie. And we've had dozens, maybe maybe even a hundred by now, guests sign the bottom of the table in Sharpie because it says you are welcome here. That's what I'm trying to convey. Welcome people. That's what Jesus is saying. Receive people. He's saying not just to invite people who can pay you back by throwing their own beautiful party. He's saying invite people who can't pay you back. That's what he says in Luke 14. Invite people who have no means of blessing you back. And look, you may say, I don't have space to have a 14-seat table. That doesn't apply to me. But let's talk about this. What about having hospitality of spirit? Let's say you don't have a house or a table. You are whatever. You are a teenager living with your parents. You don't have means to show that sort of hospitality. Let's talk about it this way. You can make people feel like they are the most important people in the room by having a hospitality of spirit. What I am describing is being the Shunammite woman in your soul. When you see someone walk into church and they look like they've had it and you go out of your way to receive them and love them and welcome them when they walk into church or when you greet someone you don't know well and you haven't seen at church and you say welcome and you welcome them if they haven't been before 
When you include someone into your friend group, this is very important to me. And this is a quality we have tried to instill in our children for decades. We have tried to teach them to open their circle. When they have a group of friends, not to close it in, but to open it. So if there's someone new, invite that new person in and broaden your circle. Invite people in, have a hospitality of spirit. And I have been the recipient of that. First of all, I've been the recipient of being closed out of a circle. And having gone through that over the past four years, it was brutal. It was painful. But then I went through it in the opposite vein when people received me in. And I don't want to embarrass her, but it's just so beautiful. It's so beautiful when you watch people who have hospitality of spirit. And when we began going to our most recent life group in our new church a couple of years ago, I knew no one. My husband and I knew no one. We just texted the life group leader and we said, hey, listen, we'd like to come to your life group. I got the details and we showed up. And the life group leader, she had this hospitality of spirit. It wasn't even in her house. You rotate houses in our life group. But she welcomed us in literally with open arms. She opened the circle. She loved us big, was very warm and inviting. And a fascinating, incredible God story, incredible God story, is that after meeting her just one time, there was something niggling in her mind about me, and I don't know why, but she decided after meeting me just that one time that she was going to Facebook stalk me. It's I, I just laugh telling this story because after meeting me the one time, a couple of weeks later, she texted me. She said, hey, can I call you? I was like, uh-oh, am I already in trouble? I just got to this church. I can't be in trouble already, you know? I didn't know what I did. And she called me. She said, listen, you're not going to believe this. I've been Facebook stalking you. I was like, Facebook stalking me? Would you believe she didn't know I was a Bible teacher. She didn't know that I travel or do retreats or, or teach women. She didn't know anything. And, and she found out on Facebook. But here's a fascinating thing. Our life group leader also happens to be the leader of the women's ministry at our church. And she was planning the very first women's event post-COVID at our church. And her and her leadership wanted to do something that centered around the art form kintsugi, the Japanese art form that involves the breaking of art and fusing it back together to highlight the cracks in the art form, which is something I use as an illustration in a lot of my teaching. And wouldn't you know that on my Facebook wall, very near the top, I had highlighted Kintsugi art because one of the beautiful young women at one of my retreats had sent me a necklace of Kintsugi because I use it so often in my teaching. So this woman, this beautiful woman, Leslie, saw it on my Facebook wall and she, she her brain exploded. She said, wait, you teach the Bible you know what Kintsugi is. We want to highlight Kintsugi. We're really praying about someone to teach the conference. And you now go to our life group at our church. If God is not Lord of all, and if he is not coordinating you to bring you into our lives, I don't know what. And we just sat there on the phone, just worshiping 
the God of all. Why do I tell you this whole story? The connection between me and Leslie and the women's ministry at our church and our life group began with this woman having hospitality of spirit. We weren't in her house. She wasn't serving me food. She wasn't making me a meal or sitting me down at her table, but she received me and loved me in the name of Jesus. And that's what I'm exhorting each of you, my beloved podcast listeners, have the same hospitality of spirit like this Shunammite woman did for the prophet. And I believe that this this woman, her notable nature isn't just in her hospitality, but also notice it's her deep spirituality. She knows she's not just offering hospitality to just any old person. And you know what? She couldn't Facebook stalk him. She discerned that he was a man of God. I believe that God revealed that to her. Maybe, Maybe he had a reputation and she had heard it, but I believe she was watching And she was really paying attention to this man. And I never want you guys to miss caring for the people of God in the house of God. Pay attention to caring for the needs of those. Jesus said that even a cup of cold water given in his name will not lose its reward. You ministering to a child in children's ministry or being on a prayer team or whatever it is, all of that really matters. But that's not the end of the aspects of this woman's character, her notable nature that I want us to notice. Look with me here, continuing in verse 11. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. And then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him and he said to him, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So let's pause again there briefly. Please notice that this woman is not asking for a son. She's not asking for anything. And I think that this is another important point in her greatness. Okay, before we continue the story, another important point in her greatness really is her contentment. She's saying, I dwell among my own people. I'm good. 1 Timothy 6.6 says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And I cannot tell you the timing of God and this message, okay? Because right as I'm studying to prepare this, to deliver it to you all, I am looking around my house at things that need to be fixed, okay? Things that I keep asking my husband to get to that aren't getting done. All right. And I know we all have a honeydew list, right? And we get there. And then I'm starting to like nag him about it. And I'm starting to get mad about it. And they're starting to become sources of discontentment. And you know, once that happens, then the bickering starts. And then it's getting to be like, ah. And here I am looking at this woman, and God was convicting my soul. She was content, she didn't ask for anything. Gehazi is the one that mentions it to the prophet. So let's read on here in verse 15. So he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. 
And she said, No, my lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. And the child grew. Now it happened one day he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said, My head, my head. So he said to a servant, Carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. All right, let's pause there. See, in Hebrews 11, verse 35, we read that there were women of the Old Testament who saw their dead raised again to life, okay? One of the women that we studied a couple of weeks back, if you'll recall, was the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings 17. That's actually why I'm trying to go in order through the women of the Bible. So you'll remember that we did the widow of Zarephath recently, and you'll remember that she had her son raised to her. And I believe that here, the Shunammite woman is preparing herself by laying her son here for a similar miracle. Okay. I don't think she's setting herself up believing that this child is going to stay dead. I think she's setting herself up truly believing that her child will be raised to her. And this is the sort of reference that Hebrews 11.35 is talking about, about women seeing their dead raised again to life, because she's understanding that the same spirit that was on Elijah is now on Elisha. Okay. This woman is preparing for a miracle and not for a tragedy. And that's one of the exhortations I really have for you all right now. And, and I know I'm pausing mid story, but hear me on this. Are we always preparing for the worst case scenario? I'm a worst case scenario person. Okay. As soon as something happens, I'm like, all right, let's calculate for the worst case scenario because I can tend to be very analytical that way. Right. For, a person who is deeply emotional in a lot of ways, I really want to get to the bottom line of certain things. Okay, how much is that going to cost? How long is that going to take? Are we always planning for the worst things? And therefore, do we end up expecting the worst? Are we not planning for God to do great things because we're so busy bracing for the worst things all the time? Again, I'm just preaching the gospel to me. I kid you not. This podcast, most of the time, I know it's for y'all, but I'm sitting here telling myself the truth. It's time for Carol Escaros to learn the truth. I contend towards that negative thinking first, but let's continue the story in verse 23. Her husband is saying to the woman, why are you going to the man of God today? It's neither a new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. Again, I believe she's saying it as well, not because she's lying, but because she's truly believing a miracle's about to come. Verse 24, then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And so it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is well. Now, when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone for her soul is in deep distress and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? 
Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore, he went back to meet him and told him, saying, the child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And you went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came into him, he said, pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground, and then she picked up her son and went out. Listen, this is such a remarkable story. Because this Shunammite woman was believing God by running to the man of God. And this isn't even in my notes that I'm teaching you guys from. This is just something I'm struck with as I just read this passage to you. I want to believe God like this. I want to believe him as we're approaching 2023. I want to lay hold of God like this. Almost like Jacob wrestling with God and he wouldn't let go until the Lord blessed him and he walks away Israel. I want to lay hold and believe God for change and newness and miracles like this woman had in her life. I want to pray not expecting the worst, but believing God for the best and the greatness. And and there's something I want to point out here. This is remarkable. In both the story of Elijah with the widow of Zarephath and the story here of Elisha with the Shunammite woman, in both cases, the prophets essentially had to beg God to resuscitate these boys, all right? It's not real resurrection because they end up dying again, ultimately, right? So it's resuscitation. One of my beautiful women in my Bible study, she clarified this point for me. I I, I use the word resurrection. She said it's really resuscitation, and she's right because they do die again. But they had to beg God for this resuscitation, right? They they had they both prophets were like, Lord, please do this for the sake of this mother. Please do this. But that's not what Jesus did in John 11 in raising Lazarus from the dead. Let's be clear. Jesus commanded the dead be raised. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And I want us to never forget the God that we follow. Let's never forget who it is that we obey, the power of our almighty God. Let's be clear. John 10 verse 18 says it this way. Jesus said these word, words about his own life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. That is the power, the ultimate authority over life itself, over your life, my life, over life and death is Jesus. Jesus has ultimate authority over life itself. And I feel like that is something that we tend to forget. 
in this day and age, when so many things are happening, I feel like there's this deluge of information, okay? I feel like there's this absolute deluge of data. We can even lose our faith in all of the influx of stuff. Can we pause for a second and remember who our God is? We are followers of an almighty God who has power over life and death itself. There's more to the Shunammite woman's story in 2 Kings 8. It's a brief little passage when Elisha tells her to leave the land for seven years due to famine. So I love how her story begins by her giving him a sandwich, right? She feeds him. And then he watches out for her saying, look, there's a famine going to be in the land. You got to go to the Philistines. You got to go to another land so you don't starve. And then you come back. And then she has to sort of go to the king and sort of fight to get her lands back, which she does. It's a brief part, but that portion of her story basically says God even provides for her then. Because she provided for the man of God, she showed hospitality. She showed generosity. She opened her home. She made space for the man of God. God provided for her need with her son. For a son, when he died, he provided for her need when there was famine. He provided for her lands to be restored to her. Your God sees what you need. You serve an almighty God again and again. What great lessons from the life of the Shunammite woman. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Rinse and Repeat. For a woman that I knew nothing about, the Shunammite woman, I love this lesson. I just love it so much. Again, my name is Carol Escaros. If this is the first time that you have joined us, welcome for Rinse and Repeat. This is a podcast that is dedicated to teaching the Word of God. My heart is to bring God's Word to our everyday situations. We're going through right now the women of the Bible. We're studying their lives super closely and gleaning all that we can and applying it to everyday life. That is the heart and the vision behind the Rinse and Repeat podcast. You can listen to our podcast anywhere podcasts are available. So our platform is available on Anchor FM. You can find us there and start from the very beginning. We actually launched a little over a year ago, September of 2021. We're also available anywhere else podcasts are made available. Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. You can also visit my website, caroliscaros.com. There you can check out my podcast, but also read my reading plans on the Bible reading app. You can find out where I'm going to be in your area and upcoming Bible studies that I'm teaching. You can also get in touch and let me know what the podcast means to you. You can ask Bible questions and so much more. And I do hope you'll join me for our next episode of Rinse and Repeat. Rinse and Repeat.